Hello everyone, it's Daria Tiesler and Impact Wellness Podcast. It's my big, big pleasure to be with you once again and together we can explore more about your health, wellness, peak performance, connection between mind, body and spirit. I cannot wait to speak with my next guest, Dr. Eileen Naomi Rask. And together we're going to explore pillars of brain health. I feel it's so important topic in 2021-2022 that cannot be missed. We're going to touch nutrition, lifestyle, mindfulness. It's going to be whole 360-degree vision. Welcome, Dr. Eileen Naomi, and thank you so much for joining our interview. Great. I'm really happy to be with you. This podcast, um, and we're going to talk lots about brain health and uh, brain potential. And um, now I'm going to give back a voice to Dr. Rask, because I really would love that she uh, explain who is she, how she get where she is right now. She's neuroscientist. She's new. She works as a neuropsychologist, and you know I probably need to understand even more what is neuropsychology, right? And there is lots of going on. We hear in neuroscience, neuroscience, neuroscientist is a big trend word, I think, around the world. So, um, Dr. Ras, warm us up for this podcast. Well, I want to clarify. I'm a licensed neuropsychologist in Ontario, Canada. In Colorado, um, I practice as a, a integrative functional medicine brain health consultant and coach. And um, I really love the evolution of my work from neuropsychology to integrating functional medicine, integrative health into brain health. Um, so I started in neuropsychology because I really wanted to understand the relationship between the mind and the body and the brain and the body. And I think that even started earlier, Daria, like so many of us have old narratives around why we're doing what we're doing. And I'm sure you have one too. For me, really, it was this confusion around as a child, I was actually very anxious. And uh, I started to see a psychologist when I was 10 years old, because I kind of felt as though something was wrong and I knew that anxiety shouldn't be there, that it's really not a natural way to be for us. Um, as a teenager, I had a lot of psychosomatic complaints and they all involved neurology. There were muscle twitches and uh, trembling and rapid heart rate. I didn't know at the time and no one told me, boy, there's this incredible connection between the mind and the body. Um, that there are pathways that connect them, that there are emotional pathways, biological pathways that connect mind, brain, and body. And so I became very interested in neuropsychiatry and neuropsychology as a, uh, as a teenager. And then I thought the best way to find out really about what's going on with these mind-body connections and the neuro and the psychology and how they interact all the time is to become a neuroscientist. So I started to study these very fine um, uh, neurotransmitters, like really going down into the finest of the fine, trying to identify then, as I moved on in my career, specific drugs and chemicals that would manipulate uh, complex behaviors. So how could we help with addictions? I did some work with antabuse and alcohol abuse. Antabuse is a, um, a drug, as you know, that's used for people who have alcoholism. Um, but just then getting started, um, realizing that it's not that simple. It's not just about manipulating fine neurotransmitters, that the story is so much more complex. Um, yeah, so I'll stop there. Very, very complex story around behavior, emotion, cognition, cannot be manipulated with simple um, molecules or altering neurotransmitters. But I have to say just one more thing. I remember when I was a graduate student in England in neuropsychopharmacology, so actually I honed in on finding new experimental compounds that we could use to 
um, manipulate change behavior. And that those days I was doing animal models of behavior change. I was looking at appetite, satiation, manipulating dopamine, a neurochemical that I'm sure you talk about on your podcast with other people. And I became interested in dopamine as like a, a, a reward, a chemical that underlies reward appetite approach behaviors. So then I got interested in Parkinson's, then I got interested in Alzheimer's. So that is really the full answer to your story, to your question around how did you become interested in neuropsychology and then become a functional integrative um, brain health consultant? Um, it's so beautiful and that's um, remind me my own journey because um, when I uh, arrived to London in 2004, I was just after my injury and I knew that I'm going to stay on the path and path of fitness and training because I used to, like I said, be professional athlete. So I uh, graduate as a personal trainer. But then when I started to work with uh, clients, just applying physical activity and movement, I realized that there is something more that is stopping them from changing or from achieving their results, right? Um, and then I said, okay, let's then dig deeper. And I, uh, in 2012, I started, or 2008, now I don't really remember exactly. I started nutritional therapy. That was foundation of my uh, further education in uh, functional medicine nutrition, right? And then I said, okay, this is something is there, but still biochemically they're getting better at the cellular level, but there is still something going on that they cannot change behavior. And then you go more into coaching in my, from my experience, right? So I did a life coaching and began to asking questions, inquisitive questions, right? So it's all similar progression from curiosity. How can we help someone to change? And you also have, um, you also practicing functional medicine approach to brain health and to everything that you are uh, working with, with your customers. Can you explain us a little bit what is functional medicine approach um, to brain health? How do people have to understand this? Working with these small, tiny molecules, Daria, recognizing that there's no possible way we can I was steeped in neurodegenerative disease. I mean, I guess I, had a, I have a, a big heart for these intractable illnesses, and I always have. Um, and working with these tiny brain chemicals at the time, just like you, I realized there's a really big story here going on. I became interested in psychology, personality, what could possibly be the contributors and underlying root causes to these extremely complex and multi-layered illnesses, which I understand and explain to people are chronic illnesses. They do not just begin. They begin decades um, before first symptoms appear. And sometimes the first symptoms are mental health uh, symptoms like depression or anxiety. Mm -hmm. um, so to answer your question, studying all of those possible root causes on my own, thinking I was the only one who thought that way. In 2014, I found a paper in the journal Aging um, by Dr. Dale Bredesen, who's become a, a close mentor and colleague of mine, I'm fortunate to say. And he put together all the things I had been thinking about for a very long time in my career. So I read the paper and I called him. <laughs> I said, Dr. Bredesen, I'm going to work with you because I really believe in all these root causes. Now at the time, uh, Dr. Bredesen didn't call it functional medicine and I actually wasn't familiar in 2014 with the term functional medicine, uh, was I? Yes, actually I was, but I hadn't put his model together in a functional medicine model. And when I began to work with him and study with him, I recognized that first of all, all complex chronic illnesses have many root causes that Alzheimer's disease and the dementias are a subcategory of chronic illness with decades of prodromal buildup of imbalances, hormonally, biologically, vagus nerve-wise, emotionally, 
trauma, early trauma, they're all kind of uh, filling up the toxic imbalance bucket in someone's body, brain, nervous system. And so this is why I think functional medicine is uh, the answer to working with, curing, healing. I don't like to use the word cure. Healing uh, chronic illnesses like Alzheimer's disease. Mm -hmm. And as you know, there are many root causes to chronic illness and Alzheimer's disease is no different. And the analogy that, um, that we use, that Dr. Bredesen you know, uses often is there are 36 holes in a leaky roof. I think now we know there are more like, you know, really biologically, well, I'm sure there are more than 50 or 100, but we can probably identify at least, at least 50 holes in that leaky roof that contribute uh, to a complex illness uh, like Alzheimer's disease complex yes. and chronic that that's very beautiful and uh, very deep and hopefully uh, for me i do understand exactly what you say and i do believe that our audience is going to understand uh, how things um, how why actually we call in functional medicine and uh, to the brain and um, that functional medicine as you said uh, approach means many root causes is not just one and i want that people also extract from what you said that those diseases are chronic and they also they starting many years before it's That's not right. just when we hitting 60 or 65 or 70 we getting alzheimer or we getting parkinson there is something that happening at uh, different level of human being, physiology, biology, psychology, um, that uh, contributing to end results. And that is just a, I could call it symptom, right? Is the, could be the end, like uh, we have That's obesity, right. right? Is a symptom of so many underlying issues that are happening in our body. So that is beautiful. Um, Referring back to your uh, explanations about how did you get into neuropsychology, uh, you mentioned something very important, um, psychomatic experiences of the bodies, feeling, you mentioned those pains, right? I really want to touch on that because I don't think people connecting the same way as you did connect, that body is talking to us right and i want that people are empowered that we don't suffer anxiety depression anxiety deficiency because we're not born with anxiety right or at least most of people right or with depression we're predisposing the body so uh, yes my question is what is about this embodiment and this connection you know how this is growing and developing it's so interesting embodiment is my new favorite word <laughs> Um, you know, in some ways I feel as though healing starts there, you know, healing starts with our sense of presence inside ourselves, inside our own bodies, inside our own uh, selves, becoming conscious of being in this moment at this time. I feel as though exercise starts there, what we eat starts there, how we feel starts there, how we meditate starts there with embodiment, um, it may not sound glorified or scientific, but in a way to me, it feels like it's everything. And I invite, you know, our audience to also consider that being here now and recognizing that we have great agency, that means we are an agent in our own healing. We are an agent in our own um, connections with other people. We're an agent in our own wellness. Uh, so that's why I think embodiment is such, so key. At the time, I actually didn't realize that um, I was very much cerebral. I grew up with my own trauma and learned about trauma through my own, through my own history, having been, you know, the grandchild of the survivors of the Holocaust or pogroms in Europe, and having been raised in the 60s with a lot of Holocaust survivors and in a mentality of a lot of fear. And then I had my own family dysfunction. You know, I'm very 
fortunate to have a wonderful family who I've worked through a lot of uh, psychological deep issues with. Um, and I'm very close with my family, but recognizing that I had my own trauma in my own family was very, very important to me in my healing journey and has informed my work now. But again, the new field of trauma healing requires embodiment, awareness, and embodied practices. The new and to me most exciting trauma healing techniques involve awareness of sensations and perceptions that arise, that arise below the neck. I call it south of the border because so often, um, at least my focus was very cerebral, that healing could happen from here, that enlightenment can happen from here, that in a way we've been stuck in Healing happens from here. Awareness grows from here. Enlightenment happens from here. You know, as I get older in this field, I realize awareness, embodiment, enlightenment happens the more we are connected with our bodies to the earth, the very living earth. So that's a slightly longer, more digressed answer, but it gives you a fullness of how important embodiment is uh, to me and hopefully your listeners will be able to just tap into one thing for them that you know makes makes you feel alive right now present right now with us in this moment that is the answer i would be expecting <laughs> i wouldn't expect anything shorter from dr rask <laughs> right we want to pick her uh, brain um, and those um, powerful um, explanations that I want to drive the awareness because I, I, I agree with you and I'm sure many practitioners of functional medicine approach or this holistic approach will agree that uh, clients with, uh, yes, clients with a chronic health conditions, they just so focus on the condition and they are not really thinking outside of the box and it's not their fault. They don't know this because no one told them and they may be presenting those uh, bodily symptoms, but they never drive the dot. Okay. This actually what I feel outside made feel from inside and the other way around. And this is, uh, I think uh, embodiment is also my, uh, my amazing word of 2019-2020 because I have done a course about coaching um, that was progressed about neuroscientists, um, about the neuroscience, so how to coach with using techniques of neuroscience and one of our teachers was Amanda Blake and um, she also, she was the one who introduced me to the concept of the embodiment. And I'm like, this is just a bingo, right? I won a lottery. And uh, that is how I start now my healing therapy from body scan, right? Uh, but a lot of interesting things you're saying about this. Um, can you repeat this once again, uh, when the healing starts from the throat? up? That's, that's what you just say. Can you repeat this once again, uh, oh, Dr. Sure. Rask, please? Yeah, I think we're all like we're emerging from um, decades, I think centuries of a belief that um, uh, specifically trauma healing happens here. Now, the, the field of trauma healing is, is relatively new. But I, I, I feel like there's a luxury in a way, uh, a luxury and bo uh, both a luxury and a necessity of being embodied. So you have to be somewhat safe to be embodied. It's very scary to be in your body if it's not safe. So there are many reasons that um, people choose not to do work uh, in their bodies. But what I was saying is that I used to think enlightenment also happened from the head up and that it all happened in the head and the brain. And over my years of, of study and teaching and practice myself, I recognize that Indeed, it's presence with the body, with sensation, that's 
most informative and where the greatest potential for unraveling um, trauma, stress, um, discomfort, joy happens. Mm. Yeah. You know, I'm thinking of, I'm thinking of a client of mine from the past. And of course, if ever I mention a client, I have permission to mention the example, even though no one will be able to identify this client. Um, but I remember trying to get an obese client of mine uh, to move his body. And it was really hard for him to move his body, but he wanted to. He had a, uh, he had a dementia and he really wanted to move. And so I set him up with a wonderful, uh, very motivated and sensitive, emotionally aware physical education coach. And he just couldn't do it. And he came back to me and I said, let's sit. Let's try to figure out why you can't move your body. What's in the way? And when we spent some time together, Daria, what I realized was that when his heart rate increased, it brought up certain feelings in his chest when I did some somatic work with him around um, doing physical work for his brain health. Now you see how they're all connected. They're kind of stacked on top of each other. He's like, I don't like what it feels like in my chest. It just, my, my breathing gets heavier. And what ended up emerging from this, Daria, was that his grief around losing his wife emerged with an increased heart rate, with additional respiration, with moving his body. So each time he'd get those somatic cues, he'd go into a place of grief rather than a place of, wow, I'm moving from my body and this is really good for me. This is gonna really help me with my Alzheimer's and it's really gonna help me with my, um, my physical strength because we know how much muscle strength and you know cognitive health are. There was no point in talking to him about moving his body if I couldn't work with the grief first. So that's, that's the point of somatic cues. And I'm sure that's something that you come, you know, you work with, with that all the time. So I'm sure I'm, I'm saying something that's familiar to you, but it, it rises to that level of, we have to really get quiet and listen. I'm, I'm so uh, glad that you actually brought this example because I would uh, probably at some point ask you about um, because body and then we're talking weight loss, right? There's so much connection here, right? It's the first thing that comes into my head, right? People who want to lose weight and for right. some reason they cannot. And right. I, I am myself, my, uh, my business, my podcast, uh, everything I do, I'm trying to be here a little bit brave and innovative in the way we think about weight loss because I have observed what you just mentioned and I know and I maybe maybe will be repeating myself it's not just about calories in and out and not just about amount of exercise we do and that's what is that notion of thinking is the you know, used to annoy me now is kind of like more is sad because we need to go beyond this pattern of thinking. There is true science into that and mathematics, but we are humans. We are not just mathematical equations. And as you said, uh, and I often would be telling my clients just probably thanks to seeing many people in my clinic, I straight away see your problem is not calories and food. Your problem is why this food become a problem, but there is something underneath. And what you said, grief, traumas, um, often past experiences. Um, so I was speaking with Dr. Rask uh, before we started recording and she agreed kindly to talk with us, uh, with me a little bit, a uh, few more times. So I believe we can talk one more time and bring more about trauma healing because that is a big, big thing. And uh, 2019, 2020, 2021, uh, it's going to be remembered as uh, years of trauma. I believe to so many people and it's going to impact our uh, health. So thank you so much. That is so beautiful and so uh, spot on. It, it, it's a pleasure. And you know, you're speaking about weight loss and, you're, and as you're speaking, I'm thinking about 
mold and toxins, why people hold weight, uh, lipopolysaccharides, uh, increased inflammation, gut health. You know, I'm sure those are all your areas of expertise, but it does trickle down to, and what do you feel like in your body as well? What's happening uh, inside the somatic uh, wisdom treasure chest of the body? So it's good that you see it that way. You're in, it's, a, it's a big gift that you offer to your clients and to your audience. Thank you, Dr. Rask. That's so nice to hear from you. This, uh, you know, you, you, you big expert and uh, hearing words of um, acknowledgement um, is, is good thing because it keeps you going, right? You need to yeah. hear sometimes from people bigger than yourself, right? Uh, things like that. So thank you so much. But 100% you know, mold, gut, um, immunity that is all connecting to uh, this weight loss and it's a bigger picture so i'm so glad we are on the same uh, on the same uh, line right. of thinking right we align um i would love uh, to talk a little bit more about uh, pillars of brain health because sure. that is one thing um, we both discussed would be great to uh, share so um what are the pillars of brain health dr rask yeah, we sure did get away a little bit from brain health, but in a way it's all related, isn't it? To 100%, 100%. And diet. And so let's start with diet, Daria. Um, diet is one of the pillars, nutrition. And diet's different than nutrition because what we take in isn't necessarily what we absorb. And I'm sure you know that really well. So diet, nutrition, the health of the gut, how, ha how happy and diverse your microbiome is, how friendly it is, as some people say. Um, movement, another specialty of yours in your greatness. Um, and I like to kind of specify that with brain health, there's a lot of research showing that there are many types of exercise that are great for brain health. It's not just one. So if I can, I just want to kind of identify for your audience that it isn't just one, but that it is aerobic and cardio work. Uh, high intensity interval training, the literature shows, is very healthy for your brain and for your nervous system, so long as you don't have a severe, moderate to severe dementia. There are times when that type of intensity really isn't good for you. Um, so I like to specify that, but otherwise, some high intensity training where people get breathless in the day. Breathless, and that's the key. Um, resistance training and with my patients the ones who are younger who are on a prevention protocol weights are great resistance training is fabulous for brain health and there's this uh, there's some really beautiful uh, new studies showing that signals from the muscle uh, protect from dementia but they also protect against retinal aging which is something that's new there's an interesting study i can share with you so it's good for your retina it's good for your muscles it's good for your brain um, so i talked about resistance training i talked about aerobic training i always like to include movements that cross over the midline more complex movements um, certainly dance is great yoga is in another category of movement because it engages a different part of the nervous system but it does require this interoceptive awareness getting back to body awareness i love my patients and i want all your listeners to just hear the word interoception it's the inner knowing it's like your inner window into what's happening with your muscles your organs what does it really feel like to go slow and low with weights so Getting back to resistance training, I love to encourage um, the people I work with and speak to to go slow and low with weights. And sometimes it takes that kind of imagining myself with a small little dumbbell. Imagine what it feels like to move that muscle slowly and keep checking in, which I'm sure you do with your clients and any other trainers who are listening. Check in and say, what does it feel like to be going really slowly? Where do you feel it? What does it feel like? Is it a positive sensation or a negative sensation? All of these things contribute to, you know, positive brain plasticity, positive neuroplasticity, conscious awareness of these signals from muscle to brain. And um, so I covered diet, I covered um, 
movement. I covered the yoga piece, meditation, mindfulness. You have to pick your own though. Every single person listening to this is going to gravitate. Some people cannot sit quietly. They might have too much anxiety. They might be too tired. They might fall asleep. They might go into different kinds of nervous system um, agitation, collapse, slowing down. People meditate when they're walking too. Titnat Han has tons of great meditations that are walking meditations. Um, and I think rest is very important for brain health, not just great sleep, but great rest, being able to rest your nervous system during the day as well. Social connection, close social connection, meaningful and intimate social connection. It's like I ask my patients, what's the quality of your spousal relationship? What's the quality of your intimate relationships? Are they soothing to you? Are you in constant high stress with someone you're slightly nervous or afraid of at home? Or is it like super relaxed for you? It really, these set the tone and create the kind of flavor of, of um, each of our nervous systems. So does that give you a sense of some of the pillars of brain health? Oh, yeah. I forgot one really important yes, one. Yes, yes, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Maybe the most important, we, they're all really important, but I don't want to forget the super big important one, which is constant, consistent, not constant, consistent challenge, engagement, learning, interest in the world. And the problem is that some people who get dementia develop um, a lack of awareness of the need for that engagement. So we as care partners, caregivers, friends need to, you know, first of all, prevent dementia as much as we can. But if you're working with someone who actually has dementia, you kind of need to be that motivator and enthusiastic person to keep someone engaged with their life, to keep someone learning, interested. And you know what? You probably know motivational interviewing or all the other ways to kind of, what are you interested in? What are you curious about? Let's do that. That builds positive neuroplasticity, that level of interaction with the environment and challenge. Yeah, so that just feels really important to me. A little bit, it's okay to get a little bit disoriented with the challenge. It's okay to be a little uncomfortable with the challenge. I think people are un, like uh, unwilling sometimes to be a little uncomfortable, but all of what we're talking about is like, how much can you push your own edge? Be a little bit uncomfortable work with the edge of your comfort in a safe way. Uh, I think that's what kind of explain me um, why they saying there is a big connection um, of co kind of higher cognition, like good cognition with when people play in sports in early age, right? Because um, I don't want to give myself as an example <laughs> right here, but <laughs> my husband always tells me, um, you kind of, um, not only my husband, let's say my husband, but he said always you can join pieces together very quickly. And I do think is related so much to this that since very young ages, I used to play sports. Mm -hmm. And then during a game, I used to play handball. You are in present moment. If you ask me uh, when in your life you are in present moment, sport was that moment. You wow. just don't think about other stuff. You and uh, handball ball are at the same time. But um, as you said, you have to challenge yourself and you have to quickly think. And those challenges sometimes difficult to uh, quick of the make of the decision of um, thinking what is going to be ahead, what might happen if, right? And I do believe uh, sport is big. That's why we would definitely would encourage uh, children to do sports at very early age. But also, uh, I think uh, my ex-boss, Nick Mitchell, will love you for this because this is the way he, uh, he told me how I have to think of weight training. When I started to work at Ultimate Performance in 2010, um, I wasn't like very familiar with uh, bodybuilding or with the uh, slow and low part of thing and that is a big part of a uh, um, concentric job and the muscle building right and uh, changes of the body composition is a great uh, way of working and this is how I have been training since and um, and he he told me imagine you have point a and I think he said C and you just want to go uh, to those points you're just not going 
A and C or A and B. You're just going to feel each part of the journey, right? So it's exactly what you said. You have to feel the moment of contraction, right? And uh, he never referred uh, to the brain health, right? But how was that important lesson for me? And this is uh, how I've been teaching uh, my clients how they're supposed to uh, train. And because I have been working with uh, women and most of women don't do weight training or if they do most of them will do very quick uh, quick movements of weights right the right. Fat, fat burning zone right <laughs> or high reps right well right. here you have to feel uh, feel the muscles right and there is so much potential of weight training on the brain health but also for right. hormones right That's and um, so very interesting thank you so much for sharing and uh, nick you see you should uh, you will be glad to hear that I still remember point A to B. <laughs> I, think, I think it's great. I think your, your clients and your audience and your um, community are really, really lucky that you are so aware of the subtleties, uh, that it, the subtleties that we have to tap into in order to be our best, be our healthiest, and be our most self-aware. And how that self-awareness, whether it's connecting to a muscle or understanding our thoughts is really, you know, you ask, you, you know, you asked me before, what does wellness mean to me? And I think, you know, that's, those are the big components of wellness, self-awareness and being present to really, start with. Yes. I really enjoyed uh, this conversation with uh, you, Dr. Rask, because um, you're just proving that it's not about just one thing. You talk about relationship on the brain health, and how is that important and how we don't care about those or we don't think about those close relationships, partnerships, right? right. Sometimes forgetting right. about people close to us where we know that uh, I, I've read studies that when um, husband and wife sleep together, obviously if there is a good relationship, they live in longer, right? I've read studies like that. So uh, you also the example that uh, we have to take in this whole approach if we are thinking of brain. It's not just, oh, you've got Alzheimer or you've got Parkinson or you've got dementia, that's right? right? That's and that is the, the message that I feel Dr. Rask also wants to pass on you. That's right. Can I just say something also? Yes, I, go I, ahead, like, please. I, I really enjoy teaching other people. I've created a healthy brain interview that involves neuropsychological, neurocognitive questions, questions around gut health, exposure to toxins, and I feel anybody who's in the field of mental health or brain health wants to be thinking about a root cause approach. I mean, I think you are exactly like exactly where you're supposed to be. You're, you're thinking about all of these contributors to physical health and wellness, mental health and wellness, and you're also including all of those factors. So I think that's great. Yes, and uh, I will be asking um, at the end how you can guys reach Dr. Rask and Dr. Rask will share with you uh, all the details so you can definitely access her, uh, her work and her program and I would uh, definitely uh, encourage you because you want to work with uh, experts. Dr. Rask, please tell me, uh, you talk about one component uh, diet and nutrition yeah. and thank you so much for making separation between diet and nutrition they're a little bit two different things right nutrition is about nourishment and about assimilation and diet can be low calorie diet or high fat diet right what are maybe few specific like um, more yes specific more to brain health nutritional suggestions okay. that okay. you could give uh, as an expert to people who for example suffer from any form of Alzheimer, dementia, or kind of brain health issues? Well, I want, I'd want to refer people to uh, a good functional medicine nutritionist. Um, and I think the functional medicine piece is very important because we really want to understand what agrees with certain people, what people are allergic to, um, what their heart health is like, how their arteries, you know, so to, I wouldn't ever give any kind of diet specific advice, but many people who um, are successful in improving their cognition, at least initially start on a ketogenic diet, become keto flex, and then according to uh, whatever their labs look like with their functional medicine practitioner, 
um, they go from there. But many people do notice improvements. For some people who have uh, heart challenges or, or lipid challenges that their doctor deems uh, a diet, certain diet not suitable. Um, but it seems as though many patients do really well uh, when they are working with ketone bodies rather than when their brains are working with ketone bodies rather than glucose. Um, the best data-driven studies are with the MIND diet. I think it's out of Duke or Rush. It might be Duke. Um, it's the Mediterranean diet for neurodegenerative disease. And it's a combination of, of course, what's good for our heart is good for our brain. So a very plant, this is generally for everyone, what's healthiest is a very plant-rich diet. I encourage all of my patients to eat organic people who've known me for a long time and known that I've eaten foods right from, you know, from the earth that are not sprayed are not making fun of me anymore because they used to say, why do you spend so much money on organic food? I think we know now that, you know, babies are born with toxins in their umbilical cord uh, blood and we have to be especially care careful to be avoiding pesticides. So starting with organic food, plant-based, you should be able to recognize your food. It's great if you can make it yourself. Tons of vegetables, many more vegetables than you think. I've seen Terry Walls cook. She's a functional medicine doctor who does uh, MS work and she eats so many vegetables. She was so inspiring to me when I saw a plate of her food once. Uh, I think I was at a conference or she was talking. Um, so tons of vegetables, no sugar. And I mean no sugar, really no sugar. Fruit turns into sugar, uh, rice turns into sugar. I'm not saying don't eat fruit. I'm not advising anybody <laughs> what to do with their diet specifically, but from a data-driven point of view, sugar's bad. Um, complex carbohydrates are bad for brain health. And good fats are avocado oil, olive oil. And if you can, and your body, um, your body agrees with um, MCT oils and coconut oil, then that's great. I personally, uh, don't eat palm oils and a lot of coconut and that's that's personal and biological for me as well so that's why it's good to kind of be specific but generally lots of plants no sugar fast before bed do not eat two to three hours before bed intermittent fasting is fabulous for brain health again if you have issues with blood sugar diabetes check with your doctor but really start to study i encourage you people you know your people and my people who are watching us start with checking in with your physician. Is it, is it gonna be a problem for me to have a, a 13 or 15 hour fast in the day from before you go to sleep until you know, mid morning or no? And it varies, this fasting period varies depending upon whether or not you happen to have an APOE4 or 4-4 profile. Um, if you're APOE4 or 4-4 and predisposed to a, 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 a it's actually late onset Alzheimer's disease. A long intermittent fast is great for you. But again, get in touch with an integrative provider who knows what's specifically good for you. And I love this point because, um, I just quickly I said, I love this point because again, we are coming into personalization. So there is nothing good. fixed. We're talking about personalization for someone is shorter fasting, for someone is longer fasting, for someone is less right. of coconut oil because of different genetic predisposition, for someone is less fruits because again, different predisposition, right? So we have to think in uh, what is our genetics, but also what environments allowed us to do. So thank you so much for uh, sharing the thing, this because I think Sometimes, for example, with fasting, we're missing the point, right? People don't. I think that's right. I think, again, it gets back to the embodiment issue. This kind of this weaving of be aware of your, first of all, your satiation. When are you satisfied? Are you really hungry? Be aware of your hunger. Becoming more aware of these somatic bodily cues will really help with this. Is it okay to be hungry? You know, I had a patient who um, well, had a lot of hunger issues as a child for her doing diet changes was extremely hard, right? It brought up old traumas of being hungry and hungry was associated with something not so great. For me, being a little hungry now, which I am, is associated with, okay, I've got some energy. I'm gonna be able to eat after this podcast. I don't have negative associations with hunger like that. I might have other ones, but so I think 
<clears throat> that's why the embodiment thing and being aware of interoceptive cues helps people with all of these, you know, pillars of brain health. Same thing with sleep. I, we didn't talk much about sleep. That's a whole other podcast as a main, superbly vital uh, pillar of brain health. But that's a PS. We'll talk about that another time. Yes, there is always lots, uh, lots to discuss and lots to, you know, lots to talk. And I, yeah. like I said, we're going to keep uh, having some Fridays uh, evenings, and we're going to enjoy <laughs> more conversations. You and me. Um, yes, uh, I wanted to know how Dr. Rask self care. Oh, my own self-care strategies. Yes, please, like share with us. What do you do for self-care? You can touch it into brain health, mental health, or you can just talk generally, whatever you wish. Thanks so much, Daria, for asking me. Then I'm going to ask you. Okay, please go ahead. Should we start with you? I can start. Right. Um, it's, um, it's actually very nice. Um, again, probably longer conversation here, so I will try to be short because... Uh, I am in a very specific situation for me. I am a mother of two and a half years old daughter. Wow. And um, for the last two and a half years, I don't sleep well. Mm. And that's not used to be my problem, right? You just go sleep or you wake up in the morning. So um, I would be in the past, never compromise my sleep and never compromise my exercise as, uh, as down to the you know, weight training, for example. But what I found now that with those breaks at night, because I'm still breastfeeding just on the way to uh, wind down from that, I feel that my body asked me about making sure that I rest more than go more into, in that case, physical work, uh, like training. I do walk a lot, right, the last, uh, the last two and a half years, but I have been not visiting gym as often. And it's again down coming to listening to my body. And I do encourage people to train and, uh, you know, go to the gym. Uh, there was obviously COVID, you break, the gyms were closed uh, and you, I don't have a gym at home. I have some weights, but what I would prioritize now for me as a self-care would be make sure that I catch up with sleep during the day, at least one or uh, two hours. Great. Great. And again, lots went through my life the last three years. Uh, as I shared a few times, I lost sister, I lost my grandpa, mm -hmm. I was uh, I was pregnant, labor, uh, COVID, changing the way my business works. So it's lots of happening, and I think I have wow. grown more into mindfulness strategies as a result yeah. because I've realized that I cannot control everything. <laughs> Right, so those uh, simple techniques like four seven breathing uh, for me is a life saver. And uh, another thing is, I realize uh, that even more than ever, um, let go of my emotions in a, a aware way is what I started to practice more. I used to be probably like drama queen, I would be cry on uh, Lion King and you know, um, everything. And uh -huh. I realized that that was disbalancing me. And right. I have learned that I don't need to cry for every single reason, right? But I have learned to feel, uh, let go. Um, but like I said, the strategy here would be much more going into, for me, self-care, mindfulness, rest, and sleep if I would talk about the pillars. Nutrition always been, you know, it is probably like my skin, the same as exercise. Maybe that's why uh, I'm not worried about this, that so this will go yeah, down. Right. And I decided to practice this, what I haven't tried before, because I knew it that those two pillars I have mastered and they haven't been helped me in the way I need. Mm -hmm. yeah, so that would be my sure three pillars. Thank you. Thank you. It sounds like your circumstance, your life circumstance, your environment have necessitated that you um, take care of your emotional health and your rest in a whole different way. You're also having had loss and grief and a baby and COVID makes your, you know, your self-care routine very different, Daria. 
in, in you're able to example to your community, which is great. Yes, uh, thank you. Because, like I said, Doctor Rask, I am. Uh, I would be. I had um, another um, uh, boss of mine from 2010, 2008. He told me one day, "You will see. Will come time when you say no to exercise the way you do now." And I told him, "You must be crazy. No way. That never will happen. No way." And I think I have to tell him, you know what? Came time in my life that I had to say no to that uh, exhaust, exhaust, exhaustion and this type of uh, form of exercise. That's right. not being said that I don't miss. So I'm so happy. I am so happy. You are such a good teacher to your audience. Because you just again, have to make decisions, right? The best decisions at that present moment, as you are saying. Especially while you're nursing, you know, you're really giving life. I remember when I was nursing, you're giving life. You know, and just juxtaposing the grief of loss and the giving life to a new baby and then living in the collective grief, you so need tender tending, you know, right now, like yoga and qigong and mm. soft movements and gentleness for your body. Yoga is a really important part of my, my routine even if it's just holding a few postures in the morning and getting embodied. Maybe I need to feel a warrior in warrior pause, or I need to express myself like a lion. Um, so yoga is an important part of my physical embodied routine. It's a way to release, you know, it's a word we haven't used yet today, but a way to release. And I feel like you're not doing intense, vigorous exercise because in a way, we, you know, you might be needing to shore up energy now rather than mm. leak it or expend it. Mm. Um, so yoga and physical movement are huge parts of my day. But again, I'm sensitive to what I need in that day, but I do move my body. Thank goodness. Um, connecting with the divine, connecting with God, um, I'm also a, a spiritual director in some circles in my life. But for me, every day in my own practice, connecting with um, a gratitude practice, a practice of awe, uh, those are very important to me. So it's prayer and meditation for me. That's how I do my sitting practice. Um, movement. I love cooking. I love cooking for many people, not just myself. So eating good food and cooking is a really important part of my, how I take care of myself. And um, I'm not so good at rest. <laughs> I don't love resting so much. <laughs> I know I should, but I just don't like it that much. I love learning. And if you gave me a chance to learn and help or give or support, I would probably choose those things over resting. That's just me though. And everyone's different. So thanks for asking. Um, I include beauty. If I'm having a hard time, I like seeing beautiful things, doing beautiful things, taking beautiful pictures. I think beauty is really soothing um, as a healer. Uh, as, uh, it, beauty itself heals. And so I include beauty. Um, breath work is part of my practice. Always um, tapping into where my breath is and using breath as a calming and soothing entry point into my body. Um, when I'm with my clients and with, with my patients, it's uh, always an important way to become more and more present and attuned. As you and I have been so attuned this conversation, so thank you. I feel like I'm right with you in Spain. Yes, we are and we've been and um... Uh, just come comes to me when, while I'm listening to you and kind of reflecting uh, deeply on my own answer is that um, myself and Dr. Rusk, we have been in this self-awareness journey and working on so many modalities of health for a long time. And uh, for anyone who listens, I don't want that you get, oh, those two are just like, okay, they're talking about what they do, they practice this and that, right? Uh, heaven, we, heaven forbid. Yes. And um, 
I want, we both want that you just probably found one or two things from what Dr. Rask shares about the brain health that you can make it happen. Good. And then the goal is here that you drive forward and you progress. That's why Dr. Rask talked also about the present moment and acceptance and self-awareness. And whenever possible, you always come back and you adding, right, Dr. Rask, to the buffet of different tools. I like that. So at the end of five, six years of your journey, when you listen this again, you're going to say, I was here and I was there. Because Great. that is, uh, that's why I said, you know, exercise and nutrition, that's always been part of mine. Someone does need to start here because it's maybe the easiest. And that's how I found. For me, mindfulness, uh, practices, breathing, uh, resting, <laughs> that was a tough thing. This is like for someone doing 10, 20 press-ups, right? So okay. I decided to nurture those things that I felt, my body felt needed to be nurtured. That's why I let um, this nutrition just be on its own because I know that it's good i cannot fix further working and fix it something more i cannot say make broccoli more broccoli as i'm telling to my clients right but i decided to work on uh, another tool so i'm adding uh, to this do you agree dr rask that people should pick something that they One. feel yes how do One. they should approach this as a kind of final question uh, you know, they're recognizing patterns in their brain, in their health, and uh, they ask, okay, where do I start? What is the answer of Dr. Rask? I'm so happy that you said that. I'm so happy you made your final point, you know, around that. And I really, really encourage people to find one thing that is, that seems manageable. At least begin to take agency, like that word around you're the agent of your own health, just to take one thing on here around, did I even ever notice my brain health? Um, and how related your brain health is to your mental health? Am I happy? How are my relationships? Just choose to focus on one thing or two things that you might get curious about. You don't even have to make a change in those things. And honestly, that's how I proceed when I'm personally stuck. Um, I proceed in a very uh, deliberate and slow way. And sometimes I make no movement. We probably all notice that in ourselves. Sometimes we just notice this is so not working. This is so not working. I'm just going to notice it. Where are my obstacles? A great question to ask yourself. Where are my obstacles? Whether or not it has to do with diet or relationship or movement, where's my obstacle? And get curious and then go really slowly and know that habits Whoever said habits take 21 days to change, I'm not ever sure who, who put that out there. It's not true. Habits can take, for me, habits take a lifetime to change. I don't know about you, but you probably agree with me too. These old patterns, these old imprints, they're not only are they from our childhood, they're from our ancestry as well. You know, they're from our grandparents and our great grandparents. So just be gentle with yourself is my best advice. Be self-compassionate incorporate the gentleness and the self-kindness into everything you do. If that's the only thing you take away from this, this podcast with me and with Daria, it's just go about it gently and with self-kindness. Shame and harshness with ourselves is our biggest impediment to any change. So those are my final words, kindness, self-compassion, and Heavens, we have to be so much more patient and kind to each other because each of us are suffering in our own ways um, during this uh, era of pandemic. Yes, I, I love it. I love it. And I believe that everyone will love uh, the words of encouragement because it's always about how to empower someone rather than disempower to move. And Impact Wellness Podcast uh, vision is to shows people different way they can see wellness is not just 
one fitness or, no. or, or nutrition, right? There are uh, different ways we have to think about wellness. Uh, Dr. Rask, right. um, how people can find you? Uh, the final question, where you are in this social space, social media space and uh, www space. <laughs> <laughs> that whole other space. <laughs> yes. Um, EileenNaomiRusk.com is my website. You can get a lot of information there. There's so many um, free tools and resources. Um, I have a wonderful team of people who do cognitive health, nutritional health, um, functional medicine, um, assessment diagnosis. EileenNaomiRusk.com. That's I-L-E-N-E, Naomi, N-A-O-M-I-R-U-S-K. Um, Instagram is at Dr. Underscore R-U-S-K, D-R-R-U-S-K. Um, healthybrain.clinic. Those are all my, um, the way, all the ways you can contact me. I have, uh, I'm in LinkedIn, I'm on Facebook, Dr. Eileen Naomi Rusk. You'll be able to find me if you want to, and I'm always available for questions. 100% and uh, I will add all those links um, so people can directly come from my website to your website so it's very easy to find and uh, uh, yeah so that's we we care about this because we want to spread um, empower uh, and spread the message of other amazing uh, healers because as someone uh, ever said this world does need, I don't know who words were that, and that is only part of the sentence. Uh, he said that this world needs uh, less business people, less people who think about this success in that way, but we need people um, who heal, who brings um, hope, who empowers others to you know, create a new trajectory for their life. So thank you so much, uh, Dr. Rask. Uh, it was uh, so so great to talk with you hope you enjoyed our conversation and uh, final word every second of it sorry fantastic final words to our audience dr rusk be kind to yourself and to other people during this challenging time beautiful thank your emotional health Thank you so much, everyone. Thank you for joining Impact Wellness Podcast. And uh, until uh, we see you soon, have a lovely evening or day, wherever you are. Take care.